Hello and welcome back to JLXP, episode 86, DRX versus EDG, full breakdown, player grades, and my goodness, this was this was a wildly entertaining series. I think in terms of pure scrappiness, it was scrappier than any of the other World Series. It was such a it was such an interesting week of quarterfinals because we had two three O's right off the bat. The T1 RNG one had this kind of interesting game two in it where I thought RNG might have been able to pull one out. JDG versus Rogue was definitely the most one-sided. And then these last two have been uh, very similar but different in like one key way. So I feel like yesterday's series with with Damwon had had almost the team that felt like they were winning the majority of the time. Like I'd say like 55% of the game states that felt like they were winning. They lost the series 2-3, right? We saw Canyon Showmaker give away Yumi twice. Well, we didn't see Canyon Showmaker do it. We saw Damwon do it as a team. But they lost two games to Yumi. A little bit of a scapegoat, but just like very narrow losses. Um, Then a near reverse sweep and a lost game five. And this time we had the game two that never was with literally one hit before the Nexus would fall. Deft has an inhib respawn on him. And then you think that's just going to tilt them into oblivion and they'll get swept, but they actually just reverse sweep from there. Just, just amazing. And so many, like, it wasn't like they just stomped after that. There were, there were five close games in this series that, I'm going to go through. I want to I want to touch on what I think some of the most important storylines were going in. I think the broadcast did a good job of highlighting those, but for those who missed it, the parallel of Mako and Deft as teammates back back in the day in the LPL, they were 2015 MSI champions together. Like they were part of the EDG that first took down Korea when they beat Faker and famously in game 5 actually Faker's the Blanc that had never lost. They beat that in the 2015 MSI finals. They won 2015 LPL spring, obviously to qualify for the LPL final or for the MSI there, 2016 LPL summer. And then they lost twice in quarterfinals. And also a really interesting deft fact. He made semifinals of worlds in 2014, but then lost in quarterfinals in 2015, 2016, 2018, 2020, and 2021. So it had been 2,942 days since Def's last semifinal. I just, I love it when things are converted into days like that to really give gravitas to it. Almost 3,000 days since his last semifinal really speaks to the longevity of Deft. And also, for those of you who don't know, Deft has spoken openly about wanting to get the world title and considering retirement after this year. So there's this weird ambiguous cloud over everything that happens with Deft, whether he'll just tilt, lose, and just never play again, or whether he'll go out having won the world title and never play again. But it's it's really hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine Deft stepping down after having an amazing world's run, but we'll have to see. That's a that's a total offseason storyline. Let's get let's get to the games. I have uh using Leaguepedia to show draft order a little bit more. Um, obviously for those of you on podcast, you should still be able to follow because I'll be fairly descriptive, but there's a small visual aid over here. So game one opens up nothing too crazy. A couple things for pick ban that happened throughout the entire series. EDG always banned Caitlyn from deft and DRX always banned Lucian from Viper. They never deviated on those bands. Yumi also banned in every game. I'm sure pretty much everyone is happy about that at this point. Personally, I I still want to see Yumi occasionally get through. I actually want to see Yumi get beat um, because you can actually at this point guarantee that Yumi will be given through or or first picked if you give it through. So uh, maybe Genji will try this against DRX in the semifinals, but we'll see. Anyway, this whole series, it was banned. So really, whenever EDG was on red side, Yumi Caitlyn were already two bans that were hard locked, so it didn't give them very much flexibility. In this game one, they decided to ban Aatrox, which had been a fairly locked ban for most teams as well. So if EDG is thinking that they're going to ban Caitlyn, they could theoretically think that they're doing these three bans the entire series, at least based off of what we're seeing in game one here. The rise ban was kind of hard random for me, but it definitely would speak to scrims. We saw Chovy play rise yesterday. Clearly, Scout had 
probably done pretty well in some scrims earlier on in Worlds against DRX, or it's just a respect ban for his career. But uh, that was the one that stood out to me as a little bit weird in game one. Then the draft is actually... It, it's weird to, to say that it's like a standard draft with Heimerdinger, but it's the same Graves-Ash-Heimer we've seen at previous points in the quarterfinals. I would say, like, overall, the vision control from this combo is just insane because Graves is perma-invading, Botlin has perma-prio, and then Ash also adds Hawkshot. So Ash plus Graves has always been a good combo when both of those champions are strong because they complement each other so well. And then also... Uh, obviously Heimerdinger gives perma prio, but if you're able to combo that, um, with any other things that is good with 80 carries, like say when karma mid was big or when Brahm was a powerful support, those are really powerful synergies as well. But yeah, Heimerdinger, you can see the answer to Heimerdinger from EDG is a Soraka and they make to make sure to get that in right away. They eat two 80 carry bands and four five with Varus and Ezreal and then still answer with the Sivir. So this was one of the more, uh, nuanced counters, I feel like, because they're still going to get pounded in lane phase, but they will be able to clear turrets in late game team fights, and they will theoretically be able to outscale. So definitely the plan for EDG with that counter of Sivir Soraka is just buy as much time as possible. And also notice the Lee Sin that they picked on 1-2 into the Graves. So this is I would say Lee Sin is not a counter to Graves, but it can be an answer because he's one of the few champions that if you do land your skill shots, you do have a chance against some of Graves' early skirmishes, and you also always have the option to run away. So it is, I'd say, we played it a lot in TL in 2020 when we had Broxa. It, it can be effective if you play the Lee Sin very well. So I don't mind this draft from EDG. And the, the, the pick I actually really did like for the matchup, but not necessarily for the player, was Zekka's Orianna. I personally think Orianna is a very good answer into Graves. He doesn't lose lane that hard, and then I think he makes it very difficult for Azir to team fight later in the game. Um, Azir Fiora, as Chronicler mentioned, or sorry, Orianna Fiora, as Chronicler mentioned on the analyst desk afterwards for DRX, uh, are good champions, but not good for them. He didn't have a lot of faith in DRX's ability to pilot those and ultimately was correct. But let's get into uh, some of the things that actually did happen in the game. So we talked about the overall vision control from Graves Ash just being insane. And it does make it really difficult for the other team to play intelligently because the jungler is almost always spotted. And then once Graves gets the Umbral Glaive, he clears away a ton of vision. But one thing that was clear to me at the very start of this game, watching the laning phase, is Barrel has put a lot of time into Heimerdinger. Uh, when Heimerdinger had that sneaky rise in the meta in 2018, I did a lot of Heimerdinger research. I actually, uh, for those of you who, who don't know, the NA player Heisendong was like a challenger Heimerdinger player, and I... He like taught me all of the intricacies of how you use Heimerdinger's spells. And I did a segment about it during like Rift Rivals when EU was smashing NA with Heimerdinger. But Barrel knew all of the combos, basically. So uh, the one that most, like almost every Heimerdinger player doesn't even know this, even though it's like a, a mechanic that is shown on the map, is the turrets actually like charge up over time and go from shooting the normal little bullets to shooting lasers. But... If you land a full W on someone or an E-stun, the laser will charge automatically. And you can actually throw out your stun and while it's in the air, quickly place a turret beside you and the stun lands, the first shot from the turret will be a laser and do extra damage. And Barrel was doing this, like he was basically always placing his turrets and he knew the right time to use all of his different ultimates in fights. And I saw it like really early on in the game. So like there was a time where he used the empowered W over a wall, which is exactly when you want to do it. If the stun would have landed in this instance where he actually had tag Mako didn't get the stun, but it was like a pixel off. He would have actually just gone the one shot. Uh, the Super E, which is like the extended bouncing grenade, he used that at a really good time to get like a long-range stun under turret. And then the max damage combo is actually when you get a double laser out of your Giga turret. And he tried to pull that off when him and Piosik were invading. So he actually used all three 
in different correct situations right off the bat. So immediately I was like, damn, Barrels really practiced a lot of this pick. Um, and I thought it was going to be important for the rest of the series. But other stuff that happened in this game, the the Graves did a really good job of helping out Zekka Zoriana in laning phase. And this is what we've seen from a lot of Graves, but I'll just restate it here. You invade the red buff at the start of the game, and then you cross through mid lane and just push back the enemy mid laner, which gives Orianna prio when otherwise the Azir would have a little bit of push in the lane. And he also, when he's repeating this, is like interrupting scouts' recalls and basically just making it really hard for him to see us properly and puts Zekka in a really good state. But overall in this game, DRX, they, they held prio for most of the early game, they got a turret advantage, but I'd say EDG kept their CS up really well. Even JJ's Lee Sin had pretty much even CS to Graves. And the third Drake fight was super interesting because it talks a little bit about how these team comps interact. So the Kennen is a pick that I realized I didn't talk about that much at the end of draft as a five pick um, is really important here. So it is it is a Kennen against five squishy champions and it's also against a team who hasn't taken exhaust. So if they can ever get the appropriate flank, they can just absolutely annihilate DRX. So DRX in this game has such a small, if no margin for error, because if they ever get in range of an engage, they are likely one shot from double AP, Ken and Azir, since no one can realistically build that much magic resist. And Yes, you could say that DRX misplayed the third Drake fight by getting a little bit too close to Azir, but I feel like the margins they were playing on were, were so small um, because in this particular fight that I'm talking about, it was the third Drake fight. Uh, EDG, it almost felt like they put themselves in a corner in the river, but then Scout like literally just flips Heimerdinger into the team and Flandre just flash belts and covers this like absurd gap. And every time they did this in Drake fights throughout the game, they just wiped DRX. So like, it didn't matter how much prio DRX could hold if EDG was staying somewhat competitive in gold because the team fighting of the Azir Kennen with so few ways of stopping it from DRX made it a really easy game. There was one moment I'd say where they land an Ash Arrow onto Scout and Zekka doesn't Orianna alt in time. That would have, like, if they can blow up the Azir, if DRX can blow up the Azir, they'd have a chance of winning the fights. But they, they ultimately were unable to do so. And I, I really liked EDG's draft here because of the Ken and Azir and the way they, they played it in game. And then also the, the point that Chronicler brought up about just like the difference between Zekka and team fights on an Orianna. Versus even an Azir's his like best control mage, versus him on Azir's Silas or Akali is night and day. It's he's like a completely different player. Final point in this game, the Fiora, as you can see, has a uh, Hullbreaker. I I feel like this got completed a little late because once he did, they could have actually applied a little bit more split push pressure, and I don't think they necessarily thought team fights were going to be as one-sided as they were. If DRX pivoted to split pushing a little bit earlier, just perma prior with Ash Graves, hovering the Fiora with Graves like throughout the mid-game, maybe they can pull out a victory here, but but they they ultimately did not. Uh, grades for this game that I gave were... I gave a B- minus to Kingen's Fiora. I thought he laned pretty well and actually did some good split push stuff after he had the Hullbreaker. Uh, B for Piosik. I actually think he helped out Zekka a lot. Zekka was going to be a really high grade in this game until his team fights were a little underwhelming. Deft and Barrel held Pryo pretty much all laning phase, but didn't do that much, so they got B-minuses. Zekka was, was an A. Um, for EDG, I gave an S to Flandre, an S-plus to Scout, a to JJ, B plus to Viper, and B plus to Mako, mainly for withstanding the laning phase for Viper and Mako, and then outperforming in team fights. And it was actually Scout to me that won all of the team fights in this game. This was his best game of the series. Defending world champion Scout, definitely in full form in this game one. Uh, he was like the cannon. Like he was always the one that was actually able to to close the biggest distance and get the CC out. And then Flander was just like, oh yeah, thanks for throwing them all into my cannon alt. So I thought Scout deserved the majority of the props for, for this game one.
Game two. Here is the draft. So I thought this was a really weird band switch up from EDG. Since DRX was the number one seed from the group stage, they had side selecting game one. And then since they lost game one, they had side selecting game two as well. That's why DRX is staying blue side and EDG is still on red side. Um, Yumi, Caitlin stay lock bands for EDG. But then it almost felt like... <laughs> The the Maokai was just so weird. It's like they just decided this game that instead of banning a instead of instead of playing against a Fiora or whatever DRX like because DRX already banned Fiora. It just made so little sense to me that they banned Maokai. It was like a throwaway ban, but it, it works out in a sense of them saying, okay, we'll give over Aatrox because we can match with Jax Sujuani. I don't think it's just a match with Jax. I think it's specifically a max a match with Jax Sujuani because that two v two will beat most 2v2s that DRX can throw at it. So DRX matches Poppy Akali. They're done with this ranged crap for Zeka. They just give him Akali and Scout matches with Azir, which he dominated on in game one. I think that's just like an accepted skill matchup that they can do here. Then really interesting bands. The Soraka ban at the time threw me for a loop because I didn't really think that like it was necessarily going to be a Soraka angle. But apparently DRX just thought, oh yeah, Heimerdinger will work unless they have Soraka. Yeah, that was a good counter pick. And we're just gonna pick we're just gonna pick Heimerdinger because. Like it doesn't have to be Heimerdinger Ash. We're just gonna pick Heimerdinger because. This is what Beryl is thinking in game two. And I, I respect it, but the you look at that 5v5, <laughs> it's actually Yeah, you, you look at that 5v5 that, that happened here, and, and I realize I, I had to do a double take. For the for this pick band because everything was actually taken in order of role. Yeah, everything in this draft was actually taken in order of role for top to bottom. That's crazy. Um, so I can just I can just easily switch over to the scoreboard now, get it on the screen properly for everyone. Um, yeah, the team fight for EDG here is just insane. They have a really strong front line with Jack Sejuani. Uh, they have a decent amount of engage with Azir plus Sejuani. They have a backline hyper carry with Viper. And they have Mako who's just kind of there. The the one the one weird thing about this series for Mako, I feel like he's one of the best melee engage supports in the world, but he was really neutralized this series. In part because Barrel was just picking such weird stuff and there is this weird like arms race for bot prior the whole game. Another thing that happened today is like the bot lanes never moved for first Rift Herald. They were always hyper concerned about getting as many plates for themselves. They would move for second Herald once plates were down almost all the time. But first Herald, the bot lanes were never moving. They were always a 3v3. Um, something I definitely want to track as the world progresses. But yeah, so getting into this game a little bit, it was so weird. Barrel was just dying all the time. He was like one in six at one point, but like pumping out pressure. He was finding all these angles over walls. Like you could tell he was really being a nuisance and Deft ends up getting really fed throughout all of this. Like even when Barrel was dying, Deft was like getting a lot of first strike gold. He was trading kills back King and Zatrox had a decent amount of prio in top lane. Zekka's Akali was farming well. So, like, the way these team comps definitely interact is DRX wants chaos. And EDG wants structure. And I think this is this was the really weird realization I've had actually throughout this World Championship is the previous way we thought about LCK versus LPL matchups was that the LCK team would be structure and the LPL team would be chaos. But I feel like it's actually switched over the other direction. EDG for most of this series wanted structure and DRX was incredibly scrappy. They're so good and comfortable at playing these double melee solo lanes and these like short range, really scrappy comps that have a really hard time setting up for dragon, but they just like manufacture these winning situations throughout the game. And they kind of did that in this one. So like at 18 minutes, barrels died like six times. And he actually smurfs the crap out of this dragon fight. And as, as EDG is retreating, Akali, Aatrox, Heimer, just like catch. It, it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to describe this. I feel like it's like a death zone. When you were the red side team, 
and you move in for dragon and you retreat towards your blue buff, that spot, if the other team engages you in that spot, you die. Like that is one of the most dangerous spots on the map. Um, there's so few areas to escape from because even when you're walking, like you keep walking up, it's incredibly narrow. You try and turn to your right. Everyone can still hit you from under the wall. So that's where DRX is able to engage on them. Um, another thing Heimer did in this game is he just like soloed the third Drake as a level nine support Heimer. Like you can just tell he's done so many crazy things in this game. And that 18 minute fight I was talking about slingshots DRX ahead in this game, right? So they get side lane prio galore because Akali is far ahead. Deft is free farming, getting a ton of first strike gold, firing off his ultimate everywhere he can on the map. So they're really far ahead. Um, but I would say they're not setting up quickly for dragon. EDG has stacked early dragons and EDG can still set up fights so much better. So DRX made a couple key mistakes that led to them losing the base race, right? Because they're like, they're like five, eight K up at this point in the game. Um, when they need to deny dragon soul, death gets caught. He was pushing bot lane. They just teleport behind him. He dies. The soul is up and they just kind of have to start improvising, right? This is when the game gets super weird. That's when they start trying to backdoor stuff because they give away. They lose the dragon soul and it puts the game in this really weird situation where EDG, despite being down 10,000 gold, is actually stronger in team fights. And this was at 35 minutes. Deft is full build. So the items you see there at 42 minutes, like he had all of those items at 35 minutes. The only difference is he had a, a scimitar instead of a GA. So he's got Trinity Force, Hydra, Manimune, Sereldas, GA slash Mercurial Scimitar, and Boots. Like he is capped. So EDG is only catching up after that point. Um, and then like the, the last sequence was just absolute chaos. Uh, <laughs> like I can describe it really quickly if you didn't watch. EDG is pulling for Baron. DRX tries to double TP into the base. One of the TPs gets interrupted. It's just deft. He literally gets the Nexus down to one hit and the inhibitor respawns, blocks him. He dies. Baron has obviously gone over to EDG. EDG is already stronger in 5v5 and DRX literally lose the game. And it feels like at this point in the series, it is going to be a sweep. You have the defending world champions. You have Deft, who hasn't been to semifinals in almost 3,000 days. I'm looking at Twitter, and in the game three, where Deft ends up playing Draven, people are saying, like, they're posting Dardock clips of him from Breaking Point, where he's like, just pick me something so we can lose in peace. Like, that's what people think the mindset is of DRX. It turns out in the end that could not be further from the truth, and this is where the reverse sweep magic starts. But yeah, you, you can you can get there. Just re really quickly to, to wrap up this game. Uh, I thought in game two, Deft got really fed. Barrel was actually really good at Heimerdinger. He did the second most damage on the team despite feeding a bunch in the early game. Zekka creates a ton of pressure on Akali. I thought that was one of the reasons they got such a big gold lead. And they kind of proved in this game too even that they're just skirmish gods, but they were not playing with enough discipline. Like if they would have just been a little more methodical and not been as greedy in side lanes. I think they had a big enough gold lead. They probably could have set up some of these drakes earlier and stopped EDG from getting soul, which would have stopped the entire base race situation in the first place. Um, Viper, who I didn't talk about much, was just... Let's make sure I have game two up there. Was just absolutely crazy in this game. Scouts Azir is still super smurf worthy. Um, EDG was lucky to win off the inhibitor spawn, but there were other things they did that put them in a stronger 5v5 spot, uh, despite losing some of those early drakes to the like really chaotic play that DRX was thrown out. All right, game three. The comeback begins. So you can see Lucian still banned, Caitlyn still banned, and DRX. Barrel gets the Heimerdinger ban. And again, the Aatrox comes through. It technically lost the first game, so EDG is okay giving it through again. 
the Sejuani ban, I think, is really key because they're saying, all right, if if we're going to have Aatrox, the difference is going to be let's just not let them have Sejuani so the ganks are less lethal and they can't um, have stronger team fighting than us. And Fjord Graves is like a little weird as a combo. They don't necessarily pair too well together. And the Kindred that is picked for Piosik is a Piosik special. It was only played as a matchup in a Graves four times this year across all the games I could find on Games of Legends. Um, but it won three quarters of these. And I would say in 2020 when Graves was super meta as well, Kindred was like a pretty frequent, effective answer. Not a not a counter. Graves typically was stronger early, but Kindred always had the potential to outscale. And if the Kindred got ahead of the Graves, the Kindred could really run the matchup. Also, Zekka just, just picked Silas. Like, just give this man Silas. He's going to win the game is what they're thinking. It's matched by Scouts Victor. Um, again, the top side is the huge priority in this draft, and Botlane goes 4-5. I think this is in a big, this is a really big advantage for Barrel, I think, just because he has such a wide champion pool. And it was consistently putting uh it was consistently putting Mako on the back foot in this case, uh not as much looking at the draft, but in the whole series, I think that was true. Renata Callista on paper is pretty godlike to be able to get on a four five. But Draven Soraka is something that something the DRX was just really feeling. Like, looking at this draft overall, it's not like, it's not a hard-winning draft. I feel like, for, for DRX, like, all these lanes are hard to play. The Fiora is an answer, not necessarily a counter to Aatrox, in my opinion. That's why we say Aatrox permabanned. But, like, it can definitely have a lot of kill threat on Aatrox if you get ahead at all. The Victor should push the Silas. And then Callista Renata versus Draven Soraka is just such a volatile lane. Um, so, with backs to the wall, DRX does not start playing scared. That's for sure. So, okay, not much happens in the early game, despite having such such a crazy draft. No big gold lead happens early on. Uh, first big things happen at eight minutes when Zekka looks like he's tilted because he invades for a red buff and just dies. Um, so you think, like, why not just use that prow you had to invade red buff to set up Rift Herald? Um, and by some miracle... I think this is actually a really crucial point in the series. By some miracle, Piosik is able to sacrifice his life and get Harold after they die on the red buff invade. Um, and then I thought it was pretty interesting how they dropped the Harold mid for Silas instead of dropping the Harold bot for the Draven Soraka. It definitely just signals that they really think that Silas is going to be the win condition in this game. And... Deft also made a big hero play in the bottom lane because Draven, the first killer death for Draven often makes or breaks the Draven's game. In this game, Deft had 300 stacks and is getting ganked in a 3v2. And he clutches up this awesome ultimate onto Mako as Mako had used his bailout on the Callista, probably didn't think he was in death range. Deft gets it right before he dies. So that's plus 757 extra gold just from the cash out, which accelerates it. Like that carries on for the rest of the game to keep him stronger than Callista. I feel like if Deft doesn't do that play early on in game three, maybe the series is actually just over. Um, <clears throat> then the rest of the fight is really interesting. The dragon control is different. DRX is putting a higher priority on it. Uh, Zekka made a really, he, he, did, he did some really good plays in this game, stealing Renata alt and then using it to zone out anywhere EDG wanted to go because looking at their comp on paper, they have like no engage. So just the ability to get the Renata ultimate and, and zone them out, uh, great improvisation. Maybe also like what the hell DRX, your comp is awful. You're lucky. They just picked Renata to gift you the Renata ult for Silas. So you had some level of zone control, but Hey, that's what happens. That's what happens in League of Legends. And I thought in this game, like Flandre, got stronger than King and Zatrox. I think EDG can just win this game through split push and mid control from Scout because Scout was also super fed here. And I didn't think there was a way that DRX would be able to kill Scout, but they did multiple times. The first one was again a stolen Renata alt. 
it tagged Scout and Viper. So Viper was killing Scout. Scout had to use Zonia's. Then they just whopped a Soraka Silence on top of the Zonia's so he couldn't flash out and they killed him. And then later on, like he was literally just in mid lane and Soraka Aatrox just ran at him. They just ran at him and it worked. So <laughs> crazy ingenuity from DRX. I'm not being sarcastic. It's just, that's exactly what they did. They were just so scrappy and fearless and I thought had an inferior comp. And I think Flandre completely over, over grouped and didn't split enough for what their what their win conditions could have been. So overall, I think DRX, they played again, they played around the victory engages really, really well. Def played Draven extremely well. He got super fed, had the RFC, and was just chunking people in the mid lane. And EDG didn't play to their win conditions of the Fiora split push. And they didn't keep enough flank wards to stop Aatrox just running at them, which was really effective. Uh, I realize I didn't give grades for game two. I'll put those in the description. I don't want to go over them now because nothing nothing super stood out in the grades from game two. Uh, game three, I actually gave, I gave Deft an S plus on Draven. He got the really clutch class out early that was literally his only death of the game then he farmed pretty much perfectly did a ton of damage in team fights i gave an s to zeka probably because he was just he was making plays like he was the only one who could really make plays po sick and a king and an a they did well enough uh in their matchups that were like more answers than counters on the other side flandra got the worst grade on edg because i think he had the tools to carry this game did not he's a b minus i thought jj had a good game on graves actually Give him an A. Scout was going to be an S or an S plus, but he just got caught too many times. B. And then BB for Viper and Mako as well. I thought they played fine. They didn't get smashed in the Draven lane, but they just fell behind the curve of the game in what was a very volatile bot lane. All right. That's three games. We're going to game four. Could end at any moment. So EDGs get their first blue side game. And that obviously means the Yumi ban. No, 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 no. I'm trolling. Yeah, first blue side game. First blue side game. Correct. This is the first time that EDG has had side selection the entire series, so they obviously select blue. And this time, they're saying, all right, the Zeka guy is too good at melees. Let's just get rid of the melees. They still have the Caitlyn ban, and as a blue side team, they have the flexibility to do so. Lucian, Victor, Yumi, banned out. So the Yumi and Lucian are locked bans for DRX. And the Victor, like, probably could have carried that game. And they don't want to give Victor over to scout for another one. First pick, Aatrox, matched with Sejuani, Azir. This one was cool. It's a denial pick because scout carried game one and two on them. And also, Looking at the games that Zeka played in the LCK, even though he is the god of melee champions, Azir was his control mage. Like, Azir was the control mage that he could play really well. And I really, really liked the Camille that DRX picked on three here. I think, I know I've said it again, but you'll see it more in this world. Like, any melee with Sejuani is just better than any melee in the other lane. So even if you're giving over first pick Aatrox, if it means you can trade for Sejuani... I actually think we're going to be seeing a lot more of this. So I think for first pick Aatrox, more than doing like a Fiora or a Jax ban, in my opinion, it would be more effective to ban Sejuani because that just tilts all of these 2v2s. Like I think Sejuani Camille wins the 2v2 against Aatrox Lee Sin. Um, so yeah, like the 1-2-3 from Derex. Heimerdinger ban again, Soraka ban again, like Barrel is in their heads and he literally picks Callista Ash in this one. Like the power creep for for bot lane is so high in this series in terms of bot lane prio and DRX just keep winning the war. Callista Ash ends up winning lane against the the Varus Renata, which is just so cool. Barrel Barrel's a crazy person. He's set up so many, so many. He's he's played Soraka, Heimerdinger, and Ash in the world's quarterfinals. So props to him, man. Okay, the game itself. <clears throat> so there is push for Deft and Barrel. And I want to talk briefly about the 
Azir versus LeBlanc matchup. This is a matchup where Azir will generally outscale, but if you do LeBlanc plus ganking jungler, you have a lot of opportunities to shut him down. So that's why I think EDG went LeBlanc Lee Sin here, but they just couldn't convert. They spent so much time in this game trying to kill Zekka's Azir. They got his flash early on in the game, didn't get the kill, and then Scout, he did that thing, that like 2015 thing that all the mid laners did back then, where you just freeze the wave like at a 30% push. So the other mid laner is always putting himself in danger. And then you have your jungler control river with pink wards and you just gank him on repeat. But Scout spends so much time trying to harass and trying to set up the wave. He actually doesn't get ahead in CS despite all of the jungle attention. And they also don't kill Zekka. So that early laning phase for me was so well survived by Zekka, considering the matchup and considering the resources that were put against him by JJ. And the the game started to turn, I think, at the 3v3 for Harold, where Kingen's Camille got first blood, even though the Herald did go over to EDG, getting a lead on the Camille against the Aatrox is so important. Um, and of course, as I mentioned, the bot lanes just never moved, so it was a 3v3. For the rest of this mid-game, I just thought there were some, I just want to mention there were some really insane mechanics. Like the scrappiness of the series and the skill being displayed was so high. Like there was this one Lee Sin kick that Zekka dodged in mid lane where he like circled around the Lee Sin as he was flying into a creep so that he couldn't get flash kicked backwards, ended up getting kicked back to his turret. Uh when Zekka, in a Rift Herald fight for the second Rift Herald, went in to try an alt, there were two EDG players that flashed correctly away from the Azir alt to not get pushed back. It was it was so clean. Um, but throughout the early game, because Kingen got that first blood, because they had the Sejuani jungler for better team fighting, and because Zekka was able to survive the early landing phase, and because Deft and Barrel had Pryo, like DRX was in a good spot. So they got the first two dragons of the game, had mythics on everyone, and I think were a stronger team for the third dragon, but they decide not to fight it. They decide not to fight it because Camille was just getting first solo turret gold top. So DRX invested heavily in Camille as a win condition. He gets that turret. A couple minutes later, he moves bottom lane, gets another turret. On the same push, he gets an inner turret. So by 20 minutes and 30 seconds, Kingen had 8.6k gold, which was like 2,000 more than Flandre's Aatrox. So I'm thinking like, damn, Kingen actually needs to make use of this gold because they just gave away soul point, which could have been an incredibly early soul point. And fourth dragon is just to flip anyway. Uh, DRX, they actually just like get the smite. Piosic had in totality as I was going through the series a lot of 150-50s over JJ. Like, definitely flipped heads way more than he flipped tails. He gets them onto Soul Point, but like, <clears throat> thank God he does because Kingen just inted in the back of this fight and gave over his bounty. Like, the Camille strength meant nothing. Um, the fifth dragon, EDG, goes for it. They play the fight pretty much perfectly. Scout gets a ton of gold, and like, at this moment, you're thinking EDG has kind of won the game. Kingen has literally not been able to do anything on Camille. Um, but another like really clutch DRX moment happens in this game. This is where Kingen just sticks around. After DRX has just not played the Dragon setups properly, in my opinion, for Dragon 3, 4, or 5, I think they're spending too much time in side lanes. They're allowing EDG first setup. But the winning play is Kingen just sticking around after a lost dragon fight, stays in fog of war, they teleport in, they bait a teleport from EDG, they kill both carries, and they just get Baron. Such, such a ridiculous clutch play that happened in this game, this game four. Um, and then a little bit after that, DRX finally gets first setup for the soul fight. They're finally there first. EDG doesn't get there first. They haven't over-prioritized side waves. Um, and it's it's a crazy fight. They, they hand-stiffed them. They had a slight gold lead. Camille TP'd in earlier, as I mentioned. And one honorable mention for this game as well 
was Pio Sixijuani, who I haven't talked about much. He landed some crazy Sejalts in the mid-game on scout to make sure that he didn't take over the game. My overall grades for this game four, I gave a B plus to Kingen. They he got he had so much resources. He had so many resources, so much gold. I, th- I thought he could have carried harder. Um, I gave an S to Piosik for the Sejuani Ultimates. I gave an S to Zeka for surviving the early laning phase and then still playing team fights very well. A's for both Deft and Barrel. I didn't think they dominated bot lane, but they had enough prio. Switching over, Viper Mako got an A and a B. I think I gave Mako a B in like every single game this series. He was just kind of there, not making big plays and not making big mistakes. Worst grade here was to Flandre's Aatrox. Uh, fell too far behind. If you're going to first pick the Aatrox, still still needing to check that theory of whether or not Sejuani just turns it. So um, I think he definitely could have played this a little bit better. Um, JJ and Scout both get B minuses. Scout at one point had so much gold from bounties, but then just unable to convert. And the B minuses are more about taking the LeBlanc Lee Sin and not setting the Azir or the Sejuani behind. That is a miss from draft to execution of the draft. All right. Game five. What are the final draft adaptations? EDG says, screw this Aatrox. The Sejuani dunked on us. Sejuani plus melee is the way you win. Um, we're not going to ban out Zekka's melee champions. We're just going to have the Sejuani with the melee champion. I think that's what EDG is thinking. So <clears throat> they ban Heimer, Aatrox, Caitlyn. DRX bans Lucian, Azir, Yumi. EDG first picks a Sejuani, but that also means Zekka just gets Silas. He just picks it. They go Silas, Fiego, Fiora, one, two, three. EDG locks the Aphelios in early and the Akali, so they've really jumped on Aphelios early. They say, we're going to get an advantageous Aphelios matchup. Ban Callista Varus 4-5. Um, finally mismatched roles, so DRX bans Renekton Gangplank. They want to make sure that Fiora can have somewhat of a human lane, especially when they're going to be up against the Sejuani. I don't think they necessarily get that because Jax still exists. I think the Jax angle here was insane. I think it was so good for EDG. Um, Jax against Silas Fiego Fior with Sejuani, definitely an angle where you can carry the game. And then DRX just goes Karma Ezreal. They just want push. That's all they're doing. They just want push this, this whole series. So I got to say in this game five, Scout could have played a lot better, but Zeka he played pretty much perfectly. It did start, though, with what is technically a Zeka solo kill, but it was Scout thinking he had lethal, flashing into turret range, being like one energy short of being able to use his final spell as a collie on Silas, and then he just dies because Zeka turns it around. Also in the early game, another big whoopsie, this one from DRX. I'll show you the scoreboard. PO6 Viego tries to just land a max range W onto Flandre. And when he misses that, the Sejuani Jacks just demolish him. <laughs> like they just kill him super easily. Um, and it, you just get to see, you just get to see the power of the top side. So with the power of the top side, the Sejuani double melee, Rift Herald just goes to Jax. Um, they drop a top. Jax needs to carry. They get first turret. Throughout all of this, though, uh, Deft and Barrel are winning push bot side, right? So they get like four plates. And shortly after they lose first turret, they do get first turret for themselves. So Deft is in a pretty pretty comfortable spot, even though Jax, Sejuani, Akali is going to be a problem. But this is where like Scout's tilt increases and Zekka's like, legend grows. So... He gets another solo kill onto the Akali. Two solo kills now. And like, just when I look at these two team compositions, I see Jack Sejuani, strong frontline. Aphelios, massive damage. Akali Silas, skill matchup. Both able to have flank team fight plays. Fiora Viego Silas just doesn't seem like a great team fighting team. That's definitely a team that needs to like be scrappy and come from all angles. And then Ezreal Karma are just kind of there. Like it's another team comp where they just do not have engage, right? But 
they just kept finding it. Like, in the second dragon fight, EDG just runs down Deft. They just murder him super easily. But then, as they're, like, moving down towards the Tribrush, Zeka Piosik just find this incredible angle where they can Viego alt, Silas Q, Silas stolen Akali R2, like, the whole AoE, and they they basically wipe up the fight and jump out to a big goal lead. Fast forward, Zeka solo kills Scout a third time. A couple more minutes later, he solo kills Scout a fourth time. Zeka's literally having, like, this is a very irresponsible statement because I definitely haven't watched enough LPL LCK to say this definitively, but Zeka might be the best Silas in the world. Like, he is so dominant on it. And his legacy definitely grows so much from this game um, with the four solo kills. But what was so interesting about this game was that despite all of that, DRX can still not find a way to end the game organically. There was the 26-minute Baron fight. EDG was down 8,000 gold. And DRX could still not win 5v5 fights. Jax just really couldn't be killed. Jax Lulu. And he, he can dodge all the auto attack damage from everyone on the team. And Zeka doesn't necessarily want to get that close to him because he's going to get stunned by the Jax E and then comboed by the Sejuani stun. So Zeka can't approach either. Like, no one can really do damage to Flandre. <clears throat> um, but, <laughs> like, they, there's a couple fights... Uh, Viper actually gets a couple shutdowns. He kills Zeka at that Baron fight when they're down 8,000 gold. There was another angle where, where he got a second bounty. So like Viper is, is nearing max items. He has like four items. He's got infinity edge, Gale force, bloodthirst or hurricane. Um, and I'm thinking EDG might be able to turn this one around. It was a super stressful moment for both teams. And this is, this is kind of just coalescing in my head to be the craziest series of the whole weekend. Um, because when the game still can't end organically, Piosik just flips the ocean soul. They, they'd already had Fiora get caught. And he just fl- runs in there and steals the ocean soul. And I feel like it's weird. Ocean soul is not actually that good in team fights, But I think the fact that he stole it just created enough chaos in the game that EDG's team fighting superiority stopped mattering because they lost coordination. Like, I actually think that's what happened. Zeka flies in, Piosik flies in, Def does a bunch of damage. Zeka ends up getting a quadra kill in this game. So four solo kills as well as a quadra kill in the final soul fight. And that is how DRX completes only the second reverse sweep in world's history and knocks out the defending world champions. I think with a worse team comp, but just better play. They played to the stuff they knew how to play. And it, it it's very impressive. That, that does it for the analysis of the series, but it brings up one more point that I do want to talk about in terms of like world theory. Also, I realize I'm like 48 minutes in, so thank you if you made it this far. Uh, if you have made it this far, Please throw the video a like. It does help the algorithm, I have recently learned. But the topic I want to talk about now is, in the past, I've felt like like play your game is kind of good advice because there's been years where, especially when T1 was dominating in like 2015, 2016, uh, 2013, they were so far ahead of people that they just kind of like morphed into whatever the meta was and won with it. So there was this impression from teams that you needed to be able to play everything in order to be a top team. But I think what that ended up doing is it's such an unrealistic expectation, especially as the game advanced, that the team that won Worlds was the team that was narrow. They were not the team that played any everything. They were the team that played their thing the best. But there was this weird element of luck to it where I felt like, especially in like the FPX year when they won the World Championship... The IG year when they won the world championship. Hell, even even the Samsung year in 2017 when they took down T1 in the Art and Sensor matter with Ruler, perhaps the best AD carry in the world at the time. It was the team who whose narrow play style fit the meta the best. 
was kind of the team that I felt like won Worlds a lot of the time. And this was, this is why I don't know what happens with DRX from here. Because I feel like, yes, they succeeded by playing their game, but I don't necessarily think their game is the best. So I really want to see, I really want to see how they do in their next series against Gen G. They should be huge underdogs. Like this is the number four LCK seed, guys. The number four LCK seed against the number one LCK seed to see who can, who can make it to the finals. Um, really great series. Uh, I would say, I would say congratulations to Deft. I thought his interview at the end was really awesome. He kind of broke down crying. So happy that he's been able to improve, been able to make semifinals for the first time in 2,942 days. Um, and one cool Zeka story at the end, actually, I learned from, I believe it was Dagda. Um, I don't think a lot of people know this. Zeka when Coma, so old T1 coach Coma of Coma Faker fame, went over to Vici Gaming in 2019, the prodigy he brought with him was Zeka. Back like little 17-year-old Zeka went over to Vici Gaming. Didn't like have immediate success in the LPL, but now basically three, two to three years later, 19-year-old Zeka, still super young, has just had this performance at Worlds. Uh, really cool, really cool. This has been this has been a Worlds quarterfinals of, uh, I tweeted about this, Worlds quarterfinal of superheroes. I, I feel like this year, more than in past years, we've had some individual performances that just seem beyond what we've been able to see in the last couple of years. And I don't know for sure yet if that's just really good game balance, you know, objective bounties coming in, some different snowball mechanics, the durability update, or if it's actually just the players stepping up to a higher level. Because sometimes the game's in a state where you can't show individual mastery, but definitely we have seen so much. We saw Canyon Showmaker. We saw Zeka today. I think we saw Viper today. I should give away final grades as well for that final game. I mean, hell, dudes, I, I, I gave Zeka an S+. I gave Viper an S+, too. I gave Deft an S. Uh, my series MVP was Zeka. Overall, game five, he was S plus. Game four, he was S. Game three, he was S. Game two, he was A. Game one, he was A. Never had a bad game. Had some carry games. Scout went the opposite way throughout the series. Started S plus, went A, went B, went B minus, went C minus. I thought he had a terrible, terrible game five. Um, him and Xiaohu, two LPL mid laners who really did not have a good game five. So going to be... Going to be a tough way for them to go out, but still, still a really awesome series. And I, I believe, let's check my notes. I believe that's all I have to say. This has been a really fun run throughout these quarterfinals. Uh, I'll try and do this again for the semifinals. Got some good ones. T1 versus JDG. DRX versus Gen.G. Another Korean Civil War. Three Korean teams making it through. Just one LPL team left. The LPL number one seed. All right. It's going to be fun. I'll see you then.